Mike Myler. Hi, everybody. I'm Savannah Broadway. <laughs> Hi, if you tell the folks watching, both now and present, my name is Jay Sonia. I am the owner of Stormity Studios, and I am a Pathfinder and learning to be a 5e developer and designer. And I'm just filled with awesome most of the time, 90% of the time. It works all the time. Yeah. Oh, we did not get any review product. Although, oh, man, I have my mustache primed and everything, send guys. Send us something small after the show, and we will review it uh, at the beginning of the next episode. Preferably not something that I have written. The coveted shuriken. Oh, shit. Yeah, well, I'm, well, I'm playing uh, my current character. I'm actually playing 5e right now with uh, the guys over at uh, Total Party Kill Games, and I'm playing in... Uh, uh, Brian Burke's private campaign setting. So I am playing their cleric, Asheram, for his campaign setting that he's developing that will be out. I don't want to say when because it's not really, I don't think he's made the public announcement, but we've been doing a lot of play testing and I've been playing this very, very dumb, but very inspired um, half orc cleric of Nergal, who is all about the death and the priest kings and uh, killing chickens. So uh, doesn't realize that they're cockatrices. <laughs> But he'll kill a chicken. <laughs> and he'll so like roll around in like a Colonel Sanders outfit, or, or... <laughs> no? We actually we played in a session. Uh, we were playing a session a couple of weeks ago when we were tearing down this rival temple, and one of the temple guardians was a cockatrice. And of course, I knew exactly what it was, and the rest of the players did, <laughs> but I failed all of my checks. So I charged in like, oh, I'm not scared of a chicken. I'll kill this chicken. And it was, and you know, I tried to do the whole KFC thing, and they're just like, "No, it'll turn you to stone." And I'm like, "I'm not gonna be scared of a chicken." And just, it was fun. <laughs> Good. I'm a big role playing nerd. It works. Fringe. She loved her chickens, though, and specifically, well, Bobby she Yaga's coming for her. I don't yeah, the Bobby it. Yaga's hut character. Yes, yes. Bobby yes. Yaga's coming for you, man. You can't, you can't be doing that. Charlie's not afraid of her. She's like the head of a space pirate witch organization now. Bobby Yaga's the leader. I'm telling you. Maybe she secretly works for Bobby Yaga. Oh, mm, maybe. Interesting. Did I talk about Ron Kier and his his being annihilated forever? Oh, I feel like I might have not come to mind. Well, Savannah doesn't know it. Savannah, do you want to hear about Raid here? <laughs> sure. All right. 
So uh, this is the first proper D&D campaign I was ever in. We convinced our, uh, our his older brother to run it for us, and he'd been playing D&D forever. And then it became like bigger and bigger until we had like eight or ten people at one point. But after after a long time, I think after a year, we're like seventh level. I was ninth level because I had well, Rankier had been very ballsy and worked his way up to ninth. I don't I don't want to get into specifics of it. So he's really powerful. And we're like going north into a disputed kingdom and we're trying to stop this war and we get spotted by these mercenaries. So we subdue him. And then his brother, Elaith, my best friend in real life, Steve, uh, was this crazy bloodthirsty like fighter elf, like insanely bloodthirsty. He was such a power gamer. It was crazy. And he really did not want to kill these mercenaries. And I couldn't understand why. So we argued about it for no joke, four hours of out of game time in character. We argued over the merits or failures of killing these mercenaries. <clears throat> so eventually I just got like tired with them. I was like, you know, you're being insensible. Fuck it. I fly up and I fireball. And uh, we roll initiative. So, of course, he, he wins an initiative. And then he rolls up and hits me. But he doesn't just use his sword. He uses the God's Bane. Uh, the God's Bane is from Forgotten Realms. And it can, it can kill and wound gods. And he doesn't just like hit. He critically hits. So Rank here doesn't just get like destroyed. He gets annihilated from existence so like no wishes <laughs> no no raise dead nothing like he's just gone forever and then Elaith lands and he looks around at everybody and he like looks at me and then he gets this like sheepish <laughs> not looking at anybody he's like i think we're gonna have to kill all these mercenaries and i was just like oh my fucking god steve and uh, just goes to show you that sometimes people will bring things into the game that have nothing to do with the game. I don't even know what he was mad about. I don't think I ever found out because I lost my mind after that point. But yeah. Yeah, that was wrong here. I like it. Boxers? Oh, is it like full plate and boxers or something? He was going maximum.
I'm where to park it. Oh. <laughs> it's not clams. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. First thing I do is I buy the wolf pelt factory, and then I set Meanwhile, the wolves are like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. that is completely reasonable. Uh, next turn. Uh, so I'm thinking, speaking of, like, cold weather not being appropriately attired, uh, I enjoy characters who kind of are formed through the roles that you make. Uh, like, I played a uh, human sorcerer of the Destined Bloodline, and his name was Gaius Titus Felix, last of the Red Hot Swamis, descendant of emperors, and the Chosen One. <laughs> Last like, that's how he would introduce long. himself. Yeah, everyone called him Felix, though. <laughs> On a good day. What, what, can I ask what differentiates a red-hot shawami from a regular shawami? <laughs> Clearly their level of heat retention. I feel like that's fairly intuitive. See, now I imagine, like, this, you remember the red-hots, though, that people used to get? You know, they'd eat yeah. those, like, red-hot That's what I was thinking. I think they have, like, a candy coating or something. <laughs> legs and, like, you know, like, proper shawami headgear. <laughs> so apparently well, guys... he was originally supposed to... What's that? Uh, apparently you guys couldn't hear me for a bit. Hi, I'm Scott. Wow, that was weird. It was showing me detecting. Um... All right, well, they'll let us know if that's any better, I'm okay, sure. I think, yeah, um, yeah, I will retell my story after Savannah. Sorry, go ahead, Savannah. Okay, uh, so what ended up happening is that he was actually supposed to be a convoluted reference to Schmedrick the Magician, 
from The Last Unicorn because he <laughs> says at some point that he's the last of the Red Hot Swamis. And so he's supposed to be this, like, useless sad sack sorcerer. He had, like, a 13 charisma? Um, and that was on purpose. Like, he had a 14 intelligence and a 16 dex, but a 13 charisma. That sounds like a lot the ranger um, who ranges. He was interesting, uh, but part of, like, he had terrible luck, like, all the time. Like, Felix means lucky, and he was lucky, just not consistently one kind of luck. Um, like, one time, everybody caught the bubonic plague, and he rolled a nat 20 on his fourth... Yeah, he rolled a nat 20 on his fourth save, and it's like, no, I'm fine! And everyone else is doing really poorly, and so he just kind of, like, puts his little luck buff on them and goes off to go shopping with the party funds. <laughs> like, he was a nat Um, but our cold weather thing was we went through this mysterious portal, and we were utterly unprepared. And we ended up walking through a blizzard, uh, trying to get to a town, and had to make fort saves. And Felix gets a natural 20, which made no sense, because he was just wearing, like, really hokey wizard robes that he'd bought. <laughs> and so we decided that he was just so angry and bitter that it just kept him warm at night. I, I love it. That's how he was red hot. Okay. So just real nice. quick, guys. Oh, there we go. Um, because uh, apparently my audio might have cut out. Um... The real quick summary of the story that I just told was I had a friend, Abdel, playing in an old, old homebrew system I ran, who uh, went to the frozen north and decided that he was not wearing anything when I asked him underneath his armor, which is frigid and against his body. It was freezing him. Oh my god, he almost died. He could have just chosen to say he had something under it. Yes, he was in his boxers. It was wonderful. We went there, and it was about 3 a.m., so when I said he needed to get 100 shiny rocks, or 10 shiny rocks for the game, for his uh, cold weather gear, he heard 100. And uh, the town was not accepting of money because it was like, uh, they didn't want to convert the currency. So we had to work in the mine for like months, like a month to get like shiny rocks to get his uh, armor. And uh, <laughs> so at the end he was like, what the hell are you, what do you mean a hundred, it was only 10. But anyway, yeah, sorry guys, my audio cut out. Um, I, I really wanted that to become a, 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 a like intrusive gentrification Rockefeller type situation. <laughs> hey, Rockefeller. <laughs> you're like, he's got like a thousand stones. I was like, sweet, he's gonna buy the fucking town. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, he was really chill about it. Like, he didn't want to, like, he was like a really, even though they're really subdued players who just kind of like plays in the background a lot and likes to support the party, you know? Um, Buying a whole town would definitely support Yeah, the party. definitely. Especially because. See, it, meanwhile, it, I'm thinking who. I'm thinking, who owns this mine, and why are they just letting random people wander up and mine things? Well, actually, like, it was owned by the, uh, the the northern one of the northern barbarian clans, which one of the other players was from, and it was owned by the town, and he was employed to work there. Um, for the period, he was there was like, hey, can you go work it? Sure, why not? And it wasn't like a big mine; it was a small one. It was just like the local economy was partially built on it. Like they were mostly a hunter gatherer tribe, but they were. But they, they settled around the mine because they could set, use it and stuff. I gotta do that at some point. And by the way, leave my uh, info for next week. I'll do that one. But um, right. yeah, guys. So the next segment here is uh, the favorite project favorite you're working on. Working projects. Uh, and yeah, these are specifically the stuff that we're working on. Yeah. So uh, who would like to begin? Uh, I will hold off till uh, the end. I think. All right. Uh, uh, I say Jay goes first because he's the guest after all. Sounds good. Go for it, Jay. Well, uh, the thing that we're currently that uh, God, how do I, how do I get started? So we did a Kickstarter uh, for Bloodlines and Black Magic earlier in the year, 
um, back in, I believe it was in March or April. Kickstarter. We, uh, we talked about it, so I, so I, we were familiar with it. Hopefully our viewers are too. Yep. yep, Bloodlines and Black Magic is a Pathfinder-compatible modern horror occult adventure supporting campaign setting. Black so Magic is, a it uses a variant set of rules called the 07 rules that are based off of the E6 rules that, uh, and it's a campaign setting that Boomer and uh, Clinton Boomer and I have been working on, you know, for the last like two years. And we brought on a great team. We brought on Brent, uh, Ben McFarland, uh, Brian Suskind, uh, Savannah's done some stuff on it. Uh, Tim Hitchcock's involved. Um, and I'm scared to leave anybody out. There's a bunch of people that that are on it, and I'll probably throw some more names in because I don't have the list in front of me, but it's a lot of people. Eric Frankhouse is part of it as well. Um, just a solid team. And uh, and we've just been building this variant set of 07 rules that uh, support occult adventures, uh, they, it supports horror adventures, and it's it's this darker, kind of twisted world, and of course it's Boomer and I, so you know it's gonna be a little a little crazy anyway. <laughs> and. Uh, we're, we're planning on releasing it October 31st. We're actually getting released, ready to release the playtest document. I'm hoping next week, right before Gen Con goes out. Um, oh, you're audible again. Oh, I'm cool. reading notes too. Just but it's, sure. it's been a passion project I've had for a long time. I've always been a fan of, of D20 Modern. I was back in 2000 when Wizards released it. I've seen people make the attempt to bring the modern variants to Pathfinder and no one I haven't really seen anything that really met my level of satisfaction, and so we did a Kickstarter. We um, we we didn't quite hit our first stretch goal, but we definitely funded. We've been working on it. We had a we had probably eighty-five to ninety percent of the manuscript going into it already finished, but we went ahead and added a bunch of material. We've got the first and Savannah, you kind of already know this because you've been peeking in from the from the side. We've got a bunch of cool adventures, a bunch of great NPCs, and a bunch of really awesome variant rules that I think when they come out, people are just going to be like, yep, this is my jam. Um, it's And, and I want to be clear, because we've had people ask us, it's not Call of Cthulhu, and it's not World of Darkness. So we're not doing Clans of Vampires, we're not doing Tribes of Werewolves, we're not doing Insanity and the Great Old Ones. What we are doing, and which I think makes us like this really awesome project, is we're, do we're doing like urban myths. So we're like we're doing adventures like with Slender Man. We're doing yeah. adventures with like Crybaby Bridge. We're doing with adventures- Chicago Batman. Yeah, I don't know about Chicago. <laughs> it's no I'm assuming it's the newest you, uh, one. It's really neat. Check it out. Assuming with a Slender Man, you uh, you dealt with the uh, license issues with that, right? I don't want to let on too much now. Okay, I'm well, just making sure because a lot of people were like, a lot of people think that it's public domain or whatever, and it's not. It's really not. Someone someone owns the IP for that. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe we'll be pulling that out. <laughs> That's what I want to make sure. <laughs> I was, like. You, you either oh, okay. can reach out to them or... Slender Man, I'm in Chicago, Batman. Yeah, exactly. You might want to look into it because there's a guy who owns it and manages the IP really aggressively. So oh, well, then I guess we'll be pulling that one adventure out. I mean, we wanted you, to basically... You can change it to, like, Creepy Man or Tall Man. It just can't be yeah. Slender Man as the IP because that's literally his intellectual property. Well, that's... I, I know I like it is. how uh, Minecraft has Enderman. Yes, exactly. It's not Slender Man, oh, it's Enderman. So you can do that, you just can't call Either it way, Slenderman. The whole, the whole point was to take urban myths and to take urban legends, specifically stuff that dealt with horror, um, things that creeped people out, 
you know, things that, that you know, like Crybaby Bridge. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with that myth, but we wanted to take a bunch of those American and European kind of urban myths and twist them in and, 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 and do some really, really fun things yeah, with it. So. Uh, reach out to him. He, he's actually pretty receptive to it from what I hear, too. Cool. Right on. Well, I'll do that. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I'll talk to you about this after school. So, that's, that's I mean, that's just a common example that we use. We haven't written anything about it, and mm -hmm. we're not actually putting any of the main myths into it. The fun thing is we're creating a whole bunch of new urban legends. Boomer and I have been working on some, some really some of those interesting... those are so creepy. Oh, well, well so you, you, you read the Unbuttles. I'm sorry? Well, I was just going to say some of them are so creepy. Like, not to spoil anything, but there's one with teeth. It's real weird. Oh. Yeah, we've done some pretty dark things. I actually had a really good talk with, uh, with Eric Mona last year about what we could kind of get away with, with and staying Pathfinder compatible. Nice, and nice. He was, he was pretty awesome about it. He was like, hey, you cannot, you know, you still can't do X, Y, and Z. So we had to like, we had to kind of, I don't want to say refocus. We had to kind of take some of the wild ideas we really wanted to run around with and like, and like hedge him back and go, all right, we'll stay in this narrower channel. But I mean, one thing you could definitely do is you could go ahead and release your main thing and then go ahead and be like, all right, after you put out your source books or whatever, be like, hey, this is this one source book is not Pathfinder compatible. Just don't nah. have the logo on it. Just say, I'm, I'm not running Pathfinder compatible. I'm going to start trying to apply Eric Drinks Gen Con into giving me a mature license for Pathfinder because I'm tired of doing 5e stuff. I want to <laughs> go back to doing supporting Paizo, but like they have to just trust that I'm not going to do the tournament of fucking rapists. And, and like add an extra right. level of discretion for the license and just let it come on, get it. Just, damn it, Eric. So, yeah, that's my goal well, for Jim is to I, convince Eric you know to start what? thinking about it. It's, 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 it's something I understand, and I understand that there's a need for maturity when you're approaching some of these topics. And, um, well, I mean, fortunately, I've worked with some amazing game designers that generally hold pretty tight to that level of maturity. So, it's you don't have to worry about some of that crazy stuff. Core Story Studios just. We have a higher standard, so we're not going to. Do you know how it started? And also, hey, you you know that like Miss of Akuma couldn't be Pathfinder, right? Like, there's stuff in there that that, that would, like, there's the the school that was once turned into zombified children, like that right there, out the window. Um, but yeah, like the way it started is because they made feats themselves, like in-house PRD feats, that could have been used and manipulated in such a way to allow for like an NPC to. Um, Ah, uh, I don't want to say it wrong, but it was like skirting on the edge of immorality and unethical stuff mm -hmm. relating to children, and that's why there's this huge anti-children clause because they almost broke it in house, and then they're like, "Fuck." Well, because yeah. if then if they released that, then it would have been not verboten for a third party to do something yeah. salacious with it. So well, it's also, you know what? It's also we're, we're there's a level of maturity that's required in, in game design that I think some people don't always see. That there's not necessarily transparency in design. Um, and so people don't necessarily think, know how people develop continuity, you know, how they develop products and, and, and how they establish continuity. And then when we say yes or no to particular topics and why we do so. And so at least in-house, and you've, Savannah, you've worked with us, Mike's worked with us. So you guys kind of know our approach to things. And we like to keep things not super Puritan, but we're not going to take the low road. So I want... There needs to be some visceral kind of realism that people can, you know, they need something that they can bite onto. They need some meat, but at the same time, you don't need to just. It's, there's a lot more one with, you know, with some nuance and some it's subtlety. Such a weird rule, because like, the border Mordvig, where the the children like literally kill the moms as they're being birthed. Okay, but like, I can't have a zombie kid. 
Right. Oh my god. We, uh, ah. we we came really close to that with a uh, necropunk. We had to like go. All right, where is the line in there? Because we're not, we're we're not really horror as much as like there's some biotech stuff. We're like, all right, we probably shouldn't put kids skulls over here and um, that artwork. We can't really I think use you can that. Get away piece. with kids skulls and artwork. But um, yeah, yeah, we had a a dude who contributed to Hypercore, and he wanted to have his his character contribution be the guy that ends child soldiering in Africa. Which I was like, oh, that's cool, fucking great, and. We Oh, yeah, and like he really wanted him to be like a teenager, and they were like, he can't be a teenager. And I was like, are you serious? So in the Pathfinder version, he has a mustache, and in the Five E version, he doesn't have a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only difference. And I had to change the story a little bit because I couldn't have him be a kid. But like, yeah, he still ends child soldiering because that's okay, but it's not okay to be him a, a kid putting himself in danger to end child soldiering. We even actually though he have one child soldier. We actually have an NPC in Bloodlines and Black Magic that was uh, it's based off one of our senior backers who wanted a similar figure. And this guy, the art for is amazing because this guy's just wearing a trench coat. He's got a shotgun on his shoulder and he's the guardian of, of the lost ones. And his okay. entire purpose is to make sure that, the, you know, those, these homeless children and these abused children, that the people that do harm to them are brought so. a reckoning. And the, the, the NPC is just, Fantastic, and and again, it's something that will be explained. We're gonna sidebar why the backers chose these. We're gonna give them a little bit of showtime so they can see, like, hey, these are why we're using some of the NPCs. But again, we're gonna we're, we're trying to maintain a degree of nuance and subtlety. So storytellers, if they want to tell that visceral kind of real story, they can do it behind their screens. We're gonna give as many tools as we can without it being just vulgar and blatant in your face because I don't think it's necessary. I just cool. don't like being leashed. So uh, hate the leech. Well, so, I agree. I, I do too, but that's a licensing thing, and that's probably a longer discussion for another time. So. That's what I'm saying. Like my goal yeah. at Gen Con, like we have to get Eric drunk and to agree to seriously think about it, uh, and I'm then email him. Certain if even if we were to just like randomly get Eric Mona drunk, not that I'm suggesting you do that. I don't know that that would you know sure. constitute sure, consent because if he agrees to do something, well, he's no, I right. wouldn't try to work him in. The, that's not how you would. have no, that would never work. Okay. But you so, got to uh, get him to admit that he started to think about it, and then you can create a bridge later that you walk across. Right. But so uh, I'm Mike, just saying, like that's my goal. Let's get the scene moving a little bit here. Um, yeah. Do you, you want to talk about what you were working on? <laughs> yeah, uh, I did my first uh, legendary games product. It's not a Mike Myler product. I converted um, the Mad Doctor's formulary and Mutant Manifesto to Five E. So that that that's on the way to layout. And then, um, yeah, yeah. It's nice. I don't always have to work on my stuff. I'm okay with working on other people's stuff. Same here. But uh, yeah, I don't know. And I, and like Clinton and, and Jason write good stuff, and it was a fun translation. And then um, I was I'm kind of bummed because I thought I was gonna help two different companies get books to Gen Con, but uh, Ryan Costello didn't turn in the print file when I told him, so he won't have his book, which is really shitty because like the one side of it is an adventure, and then if you flip it over, it's like a character class to a company adventure. I did like one of those oh, reverse flip books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I really want to see it. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, End Transmission Games wanted to get... They're going to have a couple of... Uh, in the Google document, I guess people want to think... Mike, can you... Uh, you're still good here? Sorry, for hmm? one second it kicked me out for some reason. I don't know why. Oh. But anyway, we yeah. got everything you were saying up until about two seconds ago. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. Um, so I got to a bunch of cool logos, and uh, it was all like uh, 
cyberpunky space stuff. So right my particular favorite, was like Oni mask that's like smoking a blunt with guns and drugs and money and sex nearby it, and it's just says tonight we're gonna fuck shit up in graffiti. And I was like, yes, I can definitely do this. So uh, I don't know. And it's just like I, whenever I do graphic design, it's almost always like my own stuff. So it's cool to get hired out by other people to do cartography or whatever. Like you know, I, I mean, I've actually you know, had, and I got to help them out. I've actually had really bad experiences working for other companies doing graphic design. I've gotten like conned out of money a few times doing it. So I'm uh, I've taken a step back from that. I have had a few good experiences though too. Yeah, I mean, I I don't do it unless I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't set out to do it. It's not my main deal. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah we have nice our own to- team graphic artists. I don't even. I do a little bit of it myself, but for the most part, I just hire you know professionals to do it because they need the work. They went to school for it, and I want to give them my money. Not because I like giving away money, but I love this community, and I think for it to work better, there needs to be more moving parts and more people that are invested in art and actually making money. Now, as we all know, a lot of that happens overseas as well, but a lot of it happens is, you know in the country too, so most of my uh, local graphic artists are here in the U.S. Thank you. I- I'm really happy with my oh, you just doing do my own fucking graphics. Yeah, cuz like yeah. the amount of control you have when you have like it's it's really weird doing verticalization work like that. Yep. Cuz like now I'm it's <laughs> I'm not just juggling like spinning five fucking plates. I'm spinning like five things with 10 plates on them each. Um but like yeah, having that much control over what the final product looks like. Like ah, when I did Wasteland and I got it, I was just like for the like a good 2 hours I just looked at it. I was like this is Fucking perfect, and I had this 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 grin on my face for like two fucking hours. Ah, let's say the first uh, ah. time I actually got done with a book, because mm. uh, originally I had a guy doing my artwork, but it was or, and, it, and he was great, but he just cost like way too much for what we needed. Um, I'm like, all right. And all the time you spend communicating between people kills me too. I hate yep. that. So I went ah. ahead and when I put it together, I was just like, it took me like two products to figure out how to do it. Really, I had I saw him do one. I did my own version of it, and then I put out another mm. one. Um. But my favorite one was alternate path aesthetic characters. Oh, dude, I had like I must have spent like a week worth of like work days, maybe two weeks worth of work days on that book. Like I actually got like you know like the the, the poem that does like the like like the wind like the tornado style thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did that with some stuff, but it actually is readable. Um, there's quotes at the bottom of every page. I don't know. I worked it into like where the artwork is. Oh my god, it's my favorite book. And Enzite guys, when we reviewed it, was like, "This is the next level of, of of formatting." What did you do? What I'm like, I'm like, I'm so proud. I was hoping that it wasn't gonna be like exploding in my face, you know. Cool. So yeah. um, so Savannah, what are you on right now? Uh, Mike, right now right? I'm working on um, what's that? I was saying, Mike, you're good, right? I think so. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, I'm currently working on, uh, I'm running a playtest game on Friday at Gen Con, um, and I mentioned it on here before. Yeah, the contest uh, game, right? It's, uh, yes, game? it's tentatively called Spiders and Soufflés. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to see that, because I was so excited um, about it. Yeah, no, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I'm going to have all the stuff. I'm going to have pre-gens. If you want, like, I'll run it sometime over there. Are you, like, you going to do minis? Because I've got a ton of Dark Elf minis from when I ran Rise of the Drown. I can raise them down for you. I have a lot of I minis. am very low yeah. on any kind of minis, so, like, that would be great. I'm going to try and uh, do up the NPCs soon, so, yeah. I'll hit you up after you the meeting, you know. And I'll let you know, or you can 
let me know what you need and I'll pack them up for you and bring them down. Yeah, we'll make it happen. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm in the middle of. Is that your 12 to 4 game? Because I might want to come in and drop in on that and see what's going on. Uh, I believe it is, yes. Uh, it's okay. one of the $4 slots, I think. And it says that the table's full, but that's really kind of hard to guess. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, so um, I am, and I will talk about this a little bit more later uh, in this Pathfinder Starfinder section. Uh, internally, we are working on a Starfinder racial guide. It is going to be uh, Starfinder compatible. I'll talk about how you guys can get in on that in a bit. Um, but we literally have all this in-house art of aliens we never used. I literally got like 90 of them together and put them on like our development group and went, guys, circle what you want to write and just get back to me. And so we, uh, so we have a bunch of them coming out. Uh, my goal is to have this be a really fast turnaround product and have it done by the 17th or 20th-ish where they have, uh, when it comes out. So we are really excited. It's also a great learning experience to learn how the mechanics work a little bit better. While we're doing a playtest game, while we're doing read-throughs, and we're just like, oh, this, this mechanic does not work. Stop. Do not do it. Get the hell out of there. It's great. But um, we've also been able to talk to some uh, fans and other people about like, some of our rule questions. We're hoping the community kind of learn at the same time we're learning. So um, Mike, yes, one of the races, the Devron, are um, actually turtle people. Ah, so are they I, dead I mentioned turtle something people? About the, what? Are they dead turtle people? No, but they can be killed, and there's a section on their death rights. Mm. So, so I don't know. It discusses them being killed, I guess. So, mm. see, I kind of feel like in my spiders and souffles game, I just want to add that some like restaurant, like some rival restaurant, makes like turtle soup or something, <laughs> so I can submit it for review sometime and get serious. <laughs> Mysterious monks that only serve turtle soup. <laughs> so, in, in our thing, I, have... I've been trying to think of a uh, of some like cool restaurants. Like, uh, I want to have a one that keeps like a couple trolls on staff and like carves bits of them off to serve as <laughs> steak and stuff. So, nice. if anybody has Saving. any weird underdark restaurants, how much shoulder do you want? Just say when. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much. So um, in the book we have, let's see, currently the Devron who are like living turtle shell people that they live inside of it, and they're a 200% snark. They're all about snark and cynicism. Um, we have the... What is it? Is it the, is it the Boba Hoora or something like that? Bahura or something like that? And they are basically the most naive, trusting, like plump little race in the, in the universe. And like when oh. someone first came on their planet... They didn't realize they were there for like a decade. And they're like, why? Like, we didn't detect any life. Why didn't we detect anything? They're like, oh, we just didn't want to go. We, we knew you were there. We just didn't really want to like interfere. It's cool. Just go ahead. You're like settling the planet. And they're just like, no, we're good, man. It's all good. They have pheromones um, that make everyone like them. And they're just really chill and polite and happy and want to be everyone's friend. Um, the thing that got rejected was um, the fact that they taste delicious. Because I'm like, my, my, the guy writing it, Ian, was like, I am not writing a paragraph about cannibalism in my my first racial entry in this book. I'm like, let, let, <laughs> let me send a picture. Goblins, just, like, they kill it, and they want to hunt them down because of that. Um, we also have the pissed-off tiny frog race. Um, they conquer empires, <laughs> but are only a foot tall. 
Is that the official name, Scott? The pissed off tiny frog race? No, no, it's, it's better. It's better because of the frokes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, the, the book itself, though, is going to be uh, comedic in nature. We're actually looking at it in much more of a like. I hadn't guessed. Yeah, no, we're doing like a Futurama y thing instead of, or like a, like a like a Terry Pratchett guide. thing, or like a um, like Hitchhiker's Guide thing. We're drawing a lot from there rather than like straight like science fantasy stuff. So we're we're gonna have a weird name for it. It might be something like Aliens to Invite to Your Birthday Party or something. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it just we're we're gonna have fun with it. It's gonna be our first product. We're gonna see uh, what people think of it. We have some more serious stuff. I have that utopian sci-fi thing I'm converting over. I read through it. I just decided I am going to do a straight conversion on it, so I'm pretty excited about that, too. Yeah, the, uh, yesterday I was I did the... I checked that, uh, what you call it, uh, the On This Day thingy, and I, there's this fucking game. I still can't find it. It kills me. Smurfs. Yeah, you play as... Go <laughs> okay, all right. So this was for Commodore 64. My dad had it. It was a real fucking thing. I've confirmed it with other people who have also played it, but I can't figure out the title or find it online. You are Gargamel, and all you do is torture Smurfs. You put them in boiling vats of tar and oil and, like, skin them and all kinds of terrible shit. And it's really fun, and I, it, it was obviously, like, some underground hacked thing from the 1980s, and I'm never going to find it again. And I posted about it, and then somebody in one of my Book of Exalted Darkness games was like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, 13% Gargamel. And I was like, oh, shit, Smurfs. <laughs> so now we've got perps that we've added. Or, well, they're called Purpura but perps for short, and they're basically little purple smurfs <laughs> that will make, like, a little subsystem for, like, torturing, and, like, this is what you can do with a perp brain, and so on and so forth. There's actually, uh, there's a society in Wisconsin called that they just, all the Midwest games, like Gary Khan and Nexus and a bunch of those other ones, called the Dead Gentleman Society, and they run only un or, uh, only out of publish or out of print games, and the guy that runs it, I don't know his name, but I sat down with him a couple years ago to play a game, and he actually ran us through the Pathfinder variant of The Simpsons, <laughs> and it was one of the most effed up games I ever played in. But I've seen this guy run Smurfs versus Cthulhu. Oh no, I've seen him run Sesame Street versus Cthulhu. I've seen the Smurfs Pathfinder variant. I've seen so many like really messed up things, and I'm just like. Every time I get it, if I'm at the con and I'm free and not actually working, I try to get into one of their games because they're just four hours of madness and fun, and it's always it's always a lot of fun. All right, Dead Gentleman Society, everybody, love it. Yeah. And, uh, Dead Gentleman like, Gamers or something like Dead that. Dead Gamers. All right. Yeah. So um, to look at Jim. So the next section we got here is um, favorite new project that's not yours. Um, yes. I don't have anything today, guys. So I'm going to step back and. Uh, Pass it on. Yeah, so terrible about this. I'm gonna prop up the Medusa's Guide for Gamer or for Gamer Girls, Feminism and Gaming. Uh, oh, cool. I didn't work on this because I have a penis, but uh, lots of people who don't have those worked on this, and I well, specifically, you also identify as a dude. That is also true. That is Although, the, do um, I do? I don't know why. I I don't know where the chicken and egg situation is there, but yeah, that's true. So um. That's Christina Styles, right? That is a Christina yes. Styles presents product. Yes, I'm, I'm like that. It's a, it's a Medusa thing. Different order. Hmm? So it's a Medusa thing, so it has to be her. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, if you if you know any any gamer girls, tell them about it. 
Uh, and I think it would make a great gift if you have like a niece or a cousin or something, you know, is like kind of interested in gaming and not sure what to make of it. Because if I was <clears throat> if I was looking at it, I'd be like, oh, this seems like a toxic place for me. Maybe I don't want to get into it. So, yeah. So here's a weird question. It's a kind of a talking point. Um, do you guys remember the book Confessions of a Part-Time Sorceress? I have heard of it, but I've never read it. So, I don't think so. it's an interesting book. Um, came out, I had to be like almost a decade ago. And it's this lady who worked in, I think it was the Wizards of the Coast Office or something like that. And she didn't really know what D&D was. Um, and I think she was like their receptionist or like in marketing. So she wasn't like touching the product. She was just kind of like doing the sales stuff of it. I don't want to tell you what she was. I can't remember at all. But anyway. Oh, there's a link in the Twitch. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I just pulled it up. It's, uh, it was by Shelly. Oh, I'm going to murder her last name and feel like an a-hole, so I'm not going to try to say it. Shelly M. But yeah, It was released September 18, 2007. Hey, so just about a decade ago. Um, yeah. So yeah, basically it's her experiences as a woman who had never played D&D before being invited to kind of sit with the developer group and play games and like like their home games though and um how like how typical i'll say stereotypical feminism kind of or a uh, female outlook on gaming like she was like well like there's the whole thing about like well what type of shoes do my character have i i don't freaking care who cares and she went on an adventure shoe shopping or something like that and that sounds really stereotypical but she enjoyed describing in great detail how her character looked um and she got really attached and, and talked about a really interesting game. I didn't read all of it. Um, but yeah, That's so, just the part of Yeah, yeah. So they ended up, uh, it kind of ends up being a divisive thing because a lot of people have said, oh my God, I love this is what it got me into it. And a lot of people have been like, this is stupid. This is super stereotypical. Why would you do this? Uh, I had a friend, Meg, who bought the book because she, she went to UAT, uh, the, the school I went to, in the game dev program, and she was in the art program. And she hadn't played D&D before, and she kind of sat in on a few games that I was running. And then she bought that book, and the next week she sat down at the table. Um, so sometimes it just needs, you just need that, you know, doesn't matter what the ostracized group is, they just kind of need to be handed a extended hand going, hey, look, this is the way that the industry kind of currently is. It's interesting to read. Um... I got it for my wife, and she only read, like, a page of it and then put it back on the shelf, so it wasn't her thing. Yeah, Steph is impatient with gaming. Everybody takes too fucking long doing whatever they're doing. And Christina doesn't like the mechanics. She doesn't get the mechanics as much. Why are you planning? Could it be done by now? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, Chris gets whiny when we play over four hours at a time. Oh. See, I like to marathon game... My sessions end up being like, all right, guys, we're meeting like once every two weeks, so let's do a 12 hour session. Just go, man. 18 hours, wow, whatever. I, wish I, <laughs> I, I love that. I just love, and we roll through stuff. The problem is sometimes we'll roll through what the GM had planned for that day really quick. And then they're like, all right, we're going into unexplored territory, guys. Let's go. Especially if it's like, <laughs> we, like we don't like a lot of modules. We do a lot more uh, like free stuff. So when I'm GMing, that's kind of how I grew up GMing. So it's like sometimes, all right, so. We've run out of the stuff I planned today. I had it written in, you know, my book here, and it's like, um, you guys went through ten pages of prepared material in about four hours, and we still got another, what, eight? All right, guys, I'm doing this off the cuff. Let's go. But you never tell your players that. You just always act like you're prepared. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Always off the, the cuff is, is my favorite way to oh, totally. DM. Like, it took effort to not, like, want to write spiders and souffles as an outline instead of an adventure. And it's like, no, no, this will one day be a product. People need more than, like, yep. outlines. Properly That's... numbered outlines, Scott. This is how all my campaign you settings start, because I mean. I'm like, I don't want to build an adventure that people are just going to derail, so I'll just build the whole world, and then no matter where they go, I'll be ready for them. And then here I am now with Apocalypse, Eastern Fantasy Noir Steampunk. Uh, we're working on the Decopunk Evil game. And then Hypercore and Branthia has like six, seven. Yeah. Yeah. I just got tired of people derailing me. So I was like, fuck you. I will prepare for everything. Yeah. That, that's, what I, that's what I've done with a few of mine. Um, generally, like, like Savannah says, I do, I do notes for my sessions. I'm like, all right. These are the five points I want to hit. Here's some creatures that would fit yeah. in here. Yeah, these bullet points. Like, I yeah. need them to get to this fucking place. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I tend to bullet point out, like, links to monsters that might be relevant for the area, um, traps I might use or whatever. But generally, it's like I don't have a set, like, you have to go A, B, C. Um, Smiths of Sindel, the last big campaign I ran, ran like that, and it was so much fun. Um, we ended up, at the end, doing a, like, Metal Gear Solid style stealth mission at the end. Uh, it was awesome with Sven the Shirtless Sorcerer. Ah, Sven. Sven, yes. Um, you know, I on wanna, the I other side. Scene codex, actually, I'm writing. I want to put it Sven in there at some point. Anyway, sorry, what was that, Savannah? I was going to say, on the other side, if uh, especially at conventions, sometimes you suddenly have players who are like, I have to leave this game an hour early or whatever. Yeah. Uh, if you need to wrap up faster than you thought you needed to, montaging, way to go. Oh, definitely, good idea. Montage. Because Montage. like there was one, I was running a Pony Finder adventure, which was called like Vault of the, the Pirate Queen or something. And, oh, you know- They're using the fucking style guide, thank fucking God. Yeah, thank you God. well technically okay, this sorry. one was done by Playground Games. Uh, who licensed oh, okay. the Pony Finder stuff, so they are technically a separate entity with a contract. Right, right, right. Um, but anyway, so they got down to the bottom of the tomb, and they had to fight the Pirate Queen's ghost, and we didn't have time for that. We had, like, 15 minutes, and that's not enough for a Pathfinder combat. No, no, it is not. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay, Montage, how do you teach Broken Horn about friendship? <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, the bard did a, a stirring song about friendship, and the sorcerer casts like light to show her the light of friendship, and it it, it was it was hilarious. Like in a montage, you can't fail, and you can use the mechanics weirdly. So that's kind of what we did with cinematic crescendos. Is basically you get to have like a one round montage. Yep. Except this is like the entire combat is a montage. Yeah. So. yeah. So definitely like overpat and like not something you'd want in a game like Hypercore, where the threat of death is kind of like part of the experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for stuff like that, it's real good. And my Skulls and Shackles game, actually, since we only meet for like two or three hours a week, that's not enough time for ship-to-ship -ship combat. Oh god! No. So I'm like, oh, montage! How do you defeat this ship? <laughs> and like, one poses a problem, the next one solves it and poses another problem, and like, they pass it around the circle, and I'll kind of interject or clarify as is reasonable. Uh, one time they pretended to be a ghost ship and got them all to jump overboard. It was. Uh, I love it. So, um, mm. I think uh, that kind of wraps the favorite project thing, unless uh, Jay, you got something. I do actually. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm 
I, I wanted to talk about Seven Serifs because the we have a, talking about that a Kickstarter section yeah. where we talk oh, about oh, Kickstarter. Oh, yeah, okay, we, we got a bunch of people on that product here. We will uh, we will be doing that okay. in the Kickstarter yeah. section. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Now we will talk about Starfinder and Pathfinder news and speculation. And, I can tell uh, you some awesome Starfinder stuff right away. As always, we begin this section with the link to the huge 76-page document that people have been collating with all of the Starfinder information releases. So okay. can I just give a, a little preamble here? Um, Go ahead. The subscription ones, uh, service PDFs have gone out. Um, I currently have it, and I will not be doing a review this week on it because it is a really big book, and I want the, my co-hosts here to just not get wall of texted by me. Yeah. Um, I have, a, I have a nine page document of notes right now. Um, so just in this section, we will be talking about it, just not this week. We don't want to like, we're gonna wait for everyone to get their hands on it at Gen Con and like kind of go through it. Um, but yeah, that having been said, Jay, do you, you want to talk about a little bit you said? So I was at, about two weeks ago, I went out to uh, Iowa, uh, Iowa Anime with uh, Ryan Berg, from Party Show Games, buddy of mine. I, I try to help work cons when I can. and. Uh, They've been developing spell decks for Starfinder, and they will be releasing at Gen Con. They will be at the, I believe, at the um, the uh, the Hero Lab booth. And I don't know how many copies he's bringing. I don't, you know, want to throw it out. But I actually got to see the product. It's already been printed. It's already ready, boxed, good to go. Um, it's completely licensed. Everything is on the up and up. And the spell cards look fantastic. Obviously, they can't come out until until Starfinder officially releases, but when it comes out, those spell cards, those spell decks are going to be really, really fantastic. The graphics are great. They look good, and uh, I'm pretty excited. Now, I'm not super excited. I'm not a, necessarily a sci-fi guy, but I love spell cards, and I think it's a cool idea, so what they're doing with it looks really cool. So if you're going to be at Gen Con and you want to add a nice little kind of fun thing to go with your Starfinder game, check those out. I don't know how many Brian's bring it down, um, and I'm sorry, Brian, if you get, like, swarmed at the booth, but ha-ha, I told you I'd get you, buddy. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> so, um, the, the two things I will say about, I have a few bullet points I wanted to say. It is an awesome book. It does itself justice. It is definitely Pathfinder 2.0. They simplified a lot of things, um, like, just for, as an example, they removed, like, the ability score adjustments on like size categories um, and stuff, but they also made some things more complex, which may alienate a few players. Like the stamina, HP, and resolution mechanic is a little weird. Um, just per, just kind of, it's a different beast. Remember that. Oh, it's like ring beer. So um, it's about five hundred pages. Um, a little bit over, I think it's 520 or something. And it, the art is gorgeous, layout is gorgeous, um, very coherent style. Um, but the cool thing is I actually reached out after I started reading it to uh, the licensing address at Paizo. And I was like, hey guys, what's the deal with third party? Uh, Starfinder, they have a logo, they have a um, license that is separate from Pathfinder. If you're working third party, you need to go uh, put your application as I put ours in this morning. Um, and... This time I listed as Little Red Goblin Games LLC, other than... I didn't know that when you put your like license request and it went online the first time, so I put it as Scott Gladstein. And I was like, I'm just interested to see what we what I can do with this license. And that that is like under my like name now. I'm like, oh, god damn it. But anyway, we put our license in today. Um, 
they have a com the new uh, compatibility license logo uh, for Starfinder. Another interesting thing is, since you can't reference things like the Drift, which is their like uh, hyperspace light speed thing, um, they actually suggest something. They say, hey, the open game content version of this is called hyperspace or hyperdrive, right there in like their product identity declaration, which is on page two, not like with the rest of the OGL, so I had missed it initially. Um, but yeah, good information for developers. Go check it out. We'll post up the... Um, I'm sure Mike will add the link to that when this video goes up or something. Um, let's see. Yeah, that's about it. Um, I think we're going to hold off releasing anything, obviously, and I don't know if they're going to even approve licenses until the 17th, probably, when it comes out officially, I think. So, um, yeah, have fun with that, guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. And Mike, by the way, yeah, I, I, Mike, I can... You keep posting those things up. I actually actually see them on the recording. Right. So, um, All right. but yeah, it, it'll it'll be uh, pretty good. Anything um, else for, uh, yeah. for just, just a half a second to turn the light on. I'll be right back. Okay. No problem. So, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it in Gen Con. I, I want to get a hand of a hands on copy. I, I tried to convince uh, Cosmo to like hide one in the booth for me. He's like, I cannot do that. Sure you can't do that. He's like, no, Mike, I cannot do that. We're really like they explicitly say that we're not allowed to hide copies in the booth. So, so hide it outside the booth. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> it's just a scavenger hunt. Maybe I'll yeah. well, probably have better luck with Chapter Eric. Chapter three Eric is over at booth two four seven five. Yeah, and my friendly local game store owner will be there. So if he sees me rolling, well, I guess he won't see me because he's blind. So oh, hey, nice. If I done. do get a copy, I have no worries. All right. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, uh, moving on to D&D 5e news and speculation. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a new one, North Arcana. It's called the Pillars of XP. It's an alternative system. You level every 100 XP. Uh, rewards are by pillar, and most things are recommended to be 10 XP for uh, exploring an item or a location or interacting socially in a meaningful way or a combat scenario. Yeah. Pretty um, simple. I the, way, the one thing I didn't like about it, I like the idea of... In Including all three aspects, social exploration and combat. Um, that's obviously for a group that wants a good balance, not a not one that's just like you know run and gun, just hit things with a stick. Group. Uh, they involve. They include some like advice yeah, yeah. if you want to take one of the things out. So it's mostly combat and social, or etc. Well, so here's one of the things I don't like is that it, it talked about doing it on an individual character level instead of a party level. It always weirds me out a little bit when like, oh, guess what? I'm three levels higher than my friend, or a level or two higher than my friend. That always weirds me out. It's like. Yeah, this is not a competition if you're doing a competitive or a collaborative storytelling effort and it makes it kind of a, no, you go over here. I'm going to get the EXP. You know, that's just kind of, I don't know how much I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't particularly impressed by it. I mean, I'd much prefer leveling by story arc and I okay. only really yep. give out levels when I'm like, this makes sense to me for you to have a level now. Otherwise, you guys might sit for like 10 fucking games if that's, if you just dick around for 10 games. Like, that. Well, and I feel like it encourages players to interact with creatures more than just try and stab them. Yeah. Because since they don't have to kill things to get XP, and I know that they're like, oh, if they win this person over, then they get XP equal to blah, blah, blah. But, like, you know, my, my party insisted on seducing a ghoul one time. Ooh. But, Ooh that's yeah, it was real weird. It was real weird. To be fair, there was no, like... 
there there was no physical uh, intimacy. Uh, they ended up uh, winning her over and convincing her that they were more entertaining alive than his dinner. Uh, which, you know, she, she was willing to agree with that. They uh, read her, like, weird love letters that the first mate of their pirate ship had written to the captain. <laughs> um, you know, real bad stuff like, you shiver my timbers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. I'm like, okay, guys, your homework today. Write Mister S- or Master Scourge's love letters to Mister Pluck. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I I feel like leveling up by story arc just makes for more interaction and less stabbing. So, you know, can I Go can ahead. I add something real quick? Yeah. yeah so, of course. I think one of the things that I really really enjoyed, and I know we're crawling up here on almost a decade, a couple of years to be a decade of Pathfinder. Um, you know, since its official release, and one of the things that I've always been really happy seeing with Paizo's APs is there's ample opportunities for people to avoid combat. There's always they're they're really smart about writing in meaningful conflict resolution that doesn't have to defer to violence, and I think that's important in our society, and I think it has some important social impacts because nothing not taking anything away from classic D and D. But a lot of people, a lot of gamers were raised on shoot it with a fireball or hit it with a sword and using things like diplomacy and using alternative ways to, 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 res- to resolve conflict is a really, really important skill for people to learn in general. So that Pathfinder, that Paizo does this so regularly is pretty awesome. One of the well, things I want to uh, kind of piggyback on with that is, so I do a lot of live action gaming and... Um, I went to this game, uh, Mythical Journeys up in Connecticut, and they do a great job of allowing a lot of times conflict to be resolved alternatively. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it is a, still a boff game to go ahead and beat the hell out of people, but it's you know 48 hours in characters over a weekend. But um, a lot of the larger ones, like Amped or Dag, just there isn't that level of things. Like, we had one guy who was a uh, regent for a while, or not regent, what is he called? Guy running the game, the chapter for a bit who really wanted to go and encourage storytelling stuff, um, but very rarely could you actually like do that. And I'm, I'm known as the flurb there, that's what they call it, because I love to roleplay it. There was this one where we had to break into a, uh, it was like, it was set up like there was a bunch of walls, there was like a big divot, you, like, you could jump across, you can get in. There's little passages with like a door that only uh, the enemies could pass through because there was like some magical barrier. And I literally went up and I was like, look, I tossed my weapons away and I went, in the middle of this big brawl, I was just like, to their big wizard, I'm like, hey man, I just want to see the stone. I want to see, uh, I, I have this background in this, that, and the other thing, and I would like to give you the information. I, You can kill me if you need to, but like, let me go ahead and talk. And I was able to walk in, get the stone, and walk out. Like, I'm like, I will just take care of it. Don't worry about it. And um, the best part is, the, the guy running the game was like, oh cool, go ahead and do it. Unfortunately, as soon as I grabbed the stone, the players jumped the ditch, killed everyone, and I walked out like, eh. So yeah, a lot of times that alternate conflict resolution doesn't translate to a lot of other mediums, so it's great to see it in games like Pathfinder and D&D and whatever. But that's a hallmark of a good GM, not a good system, in my opinion. That's just... Well, I... And talk about... But, you know, it is is a hallmark of a good GM, but they are pretty particular in writing that material into the APs. They'll give you that. They'll spend the extra 175 to 200 words if necessary to say, and if the PCs find a better way to do this, award them XP as if they defeated its encounter. Yeah. Mike, what do you want to add? Classic D&D has changed, is, is, is 
It's like comparing old English and the English we use now. Totally. Like Gygax has said, like when you go dungeon delving, the idea was you would go in, get as far as you could, and then run back outside to to like recover and survive, not like go in and murder slaughter your way through all of it, or in this case, diplomancy your way through. And I love my diplomancy. Yes, diplomancy is the best school of magic. So, uh, Mike, what is this next thing here? The uh, program. Do, oh yeah, to talk about tie-in stuff. So. Um, the DMs Guild has started something called the Guild Adept Program, where they handpick uh, third-party publishers from the DMs Guild to highlight products of, uh, they give them a special logo, and then they give them early access to upcoming products so they can make tie-in material to put said logo on. Uh, there was a little bit of a fight on my Facebook over this. I did not mm-hmm. participate, because I know a troll when I see one. Yep. But, um... Yeah, I don't think it's good for anybody, uh, except for those those specific highlighted people. And good for them. I don't have anything against the creators that are chosen. I, I just have problems with DMs Guild, and this is more of the like brutal, thuggish, third party market tactics that I've been talking about. Uh, What's he doing for some time now? Uh, just and real just, quick. Point, yeah, I don't know. Real quick uh, heads up, guys. Um, we are pushing time a little bit, so just we may have to roll a little quicker through the next few things. Hey, before we yeah. end the 5e section, can I add one quick thing? Sure. Sure. Uh, we haven't. We're going to be dropping Rune's Beastary in 5e. The conversion. Uh, one of our one of the people who graduated from Design Camp, Robert Fairbanks, has been actively converting all of the monsters from Rune. Um, I had cool. to take a break from doing it out because out here in Boston. And as soon as Gen Con is over, we should have it done. And my goal is by the first of September to have uh, our first 5e product for Rune out. So uh, if you're a Rune fan or, you know, check the links, I can drop them later on. It'll, uh, we'll be doing 5e stuff for Rune, everybody. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, I put in the print file for another Miss of Akuma adventure uh, last week. So Cool. Cool. So, I've, uh, been, I've been running around between cons, Mike, so I'll talk to you about that after the show. Oh, it's all good. I'm, it's, it's working fine. So, uh, yeah, I made a bunch way, of maps. Um, so if we can roll on to the next section, other RPG business. Yes. Uh, other RPG business. All right. Um, but do, do, do. Oh, yeah. The World of Vampires is doing a DMs yeah. Guild too. Uh, again, which is I, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's awesome. I, 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 no. I don't. I, yeah, no. I, I, I think the whole exclusivity thing, killing profit. Uh, you've already seen what it did to like the marketplace's viability over at DMs Guild. I don't think there's anything over five dollars. Like. Yeah. It, it pushes away professional publishers from engaging with the system and products, and it directs the attention of the consumer away from where those people might be trying to support it anyway, even though there's this fucked up carousel notice me senpai thing going on over here. So you know what I think it's, it kind of is? And, and Mike, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think what they're trying to develop is more a, like, what is it, like the D20 fan base thing kind of thing? There was like the, the D20 wiki uh, thing where they were like, here's all the homebrew content, but we're going to go ahead and give it a place to, like, shine. I'm like, the difference between homebrew and third party is pretty... There's a line. It's... I mean, a lot of us wrote homebrew to begin with, but there's professionalism versus, you know, homebrew, and there's a difference there, you know? And I think they're trying to... I agree. To really... I think... Uh, I th- 
I would add, though, that if you're not approaching it as a publisher, if you're a fan or somebody that actively wants to break in and support that world, it's a great model for them. And I want to support those people that want to get into gaming. I actually, it's sort of competitive <laughs> what we're doing for Bloodlines of Black Magic, but I'll still go ahead and promote it because I think it's great for those people that want to break in. So, like, and the amount of money these people are going to make and the number of people who actually see their product is going to go down, like the product of their work. Mm-hmm. And is that going to encourage them to make more of it or to not do that? Well, we're not going to see until it pans out, though. you got to give it a year or two to see how it works out. I'm not, I'm not I'm I don't think. It, I don't think in the end it, it ends up with a, a, a net gain of gamers. I think that's a net loss. Well, I think we'll the tide is getting lowered by it, not raised. Well, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see that. I mean, I don't yeah, know. I'm yeah. not necessarily disagreeing with you. And as a publisher, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. But as a gamer who might see gamer people that just want to write, you know, they want to take their old LARP and put it into Vampire, let them do it. Have fun with it. Be awesome. So the next thing here is, uh, Mike, you're talking about a lawsuit here. Oh, yeah, there's a Games Workshop lawsuit. Um, so a guy, I think in Florida, yes, uh, Games I, Workshop I store up here. owner, uh, is sold, suing so. Games Workshop for uh, IP theft, saying that they stole Space Marines, among other things. Uh, unfair market manipulation against both store owners and consumers, which is absolutely true and fair. Yep, we've talked about that before. Uh, and then, like, a fuck ton more. Uh, the, the website that I have in the... I don't want to share that website because it crashed... It tried to crash my computer uh, with all the Flash stuff on it. Here, but, um, yeah, if you, if you look it up, uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, I think half of it will probably get thrown out, honestly. And, frankly, that's kind of how lawyers operate. They don't walk in with only what they want. They know they're going to have to give away something, so they put a whole bunch of shit on the table when really they're only worried about three or four dishes. Yep. So, and, um, uh, real quick, for those not familiar, they they have a very tight grip on their IP. We've talked, me and Mike have talked about it specifically about how, like kind of how uh, Hasbro Street and 5e, which, which is basically as a license machine, that's what they're really making their money on for 40k and their other licenses over at Games Workshop. Well, the blood's on the wall, like with 3D yeah. printers. There's no way that their current, their 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 whole basis. The, of, their thirty dollars a model thing is going to go away. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the issues with it is um, they also have a very brutal like contract clause for brick and mortar stores. Like you have to get this much space to 40k. This much to fantasy. You have to take the models we give you. Um, and if you don't, we're going to open a store down the street and undersell you, and you're going to go up bankrupt, so have fun. Um, and they have total control of supply. That's what I'm saying, yeah. You have to take the models they want. Yeah. And you have to run certain games, and certain people are on board with that. Some people are just like, yeah, I want to... I just... I'm totally cool selling 40K minis. That's cool, but, like, sometimes people want more more control over, hey, we... No one here plays orcs. Why are you sending me 30 boxes of orcs? <laughs> and uh, they're going to sit on my shelf for the next eight months. I had to buy them. I think what too. the real killer is going to be for them is that their online model of sales is direct negative competition for the stores mm-hmm. that that are what worked into this agreement with them, and that's what's going to get them kicked in the nuts. I so, here's something I was talking actually with my friend Andy yesterday at lunch uh, over this about something similar to this. We're saying, look, there's no Hero Forge. Yeah. I, I have my I have a mini I made of. For myself, uh, for Hero Forge, I have an old man from Hero Forge. Um, I have a guy in a suit with a rapier and a shield. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that is so the thing is, that's going to be the future. I feel like, like, hey guys, we want. I want a Space Marine squad with two guys with bolters, one guy with a rocket launcher, a sergeant without a helmet, a power sword and a glove, 
or in a in a bolt pistol, and uh, this guy in the back has the um, pointing and the auspects in his hand or whatever. Go ahead, print it, go, and like they'll sell it at mart. They'll sell it at profit. It'll still be twenty, thirty bucks, but it won't. But it'll, that that's for a squad that normally would cost sixty or whatever. You know, it's ridiculous. Um, and yeah, they're gonna have to embrace the three D printing technology. I think because that's really where that market's gonna go. We're building stuff for uh, Nogwall right now that is three D print accessible. I gotta figure out how to make the file work. It's really, it's not do, it's not doing something right. But anyway, um, so yeah, uh, other media of interest. Um, yeah, other media of interest. Wave your arms so I know that this is where I make the change. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of awesome stuff on TV right now. Why don't you stop? Start with Bobaverse though. Uh, so I got the book Bobaverse Three, All These Worlds. Oh my God, it's awesome! Um, I'm really excited about it. Um, I literally stayed up till like midnight to download it and start reading it. About halfway through now. Um, I'm really sad though. It's only because um, I'm, I'm using audiobooks. The first book was nine hours. The second book was eight and a half. This one was six. And I normally listen to twelve to twenty hour books, and I'm like, I'm little... you got to the end, and you were like, no, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I'm only a few hours in. I'm uh, about oh, okay. halfway done. A little less than that, and uh, it's really good though. Um, I don't care about one of the storylines because it bounces between like six storylines at once. Um, but yeah, the, um, the Howard storyline doesn't interest me. I'm sure it'll pay off, but I don't, it doesn't interest me now. Um, but yeah, it's a great series. It's one of those ones that in like ten years, when someone go, like discovers this retro hit or something like that, that's gonna blow up. It's kind of a sleeper hit right now. It's gotten amazing sales on Audible. But once people finally get, like, go, oh, my God, this is good, it'll be as good as, like, The Martian. As soon as they figure it out, man, I'm telling you. It's that same, like, Ready Player One, The Martian vibe. It fits in, like, with that, like, kind of thing. And he said this, the last interview I saw with the guy was, he said, this is the last one I'm doing in this, of the Babaverse series, but I might tell other stories in the same universe afterwards. I hope he just continues it. It's, it's a good format. So uh, next right. we have a uh, show spoilers. Uh, Game of Thrones. Everybody saw it this week, right? Yeah. Let's uh, yes! let, let, let's, no. keep, let's keep it a little oh, spoiler light. I I don't care about spoilers. I'm sure plenty of our viewers are more going to care about spoilers. Yeah, let, let's keep spoilers okay. light. You're not gonna bother me. Um, we finally got a big payoff battle. We got some awesome duels. Some great character development resolution. Um, we're gonna keep the names a little blurry here. That we're, we're putting a censor bar over the names there, but. We got some great character development. Everyone took levels. Oh, we warned about class. we, we warned about spoilers. I'm ready to talk about it. Uh, more Littlefinger, please, please, <laughs> more Littlefinger. I am. Oh, and Bran, Bran finally stops feeling like Bran. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's what I feel like. I feel like everyone in the all the Stark children took levels in prestige classes. They had levels in like Stark child for like ten levels, yeah. and then they're like, I'm a faithless. Uh, I'm one of the faceless men of Bravos. I, I took the noble prestige class, says Sansa, and, you know, what's his name? Uh, Bran is just like... Sansa's the only one without a fucking superpower now. <laughs> I feel bad for her. Um, and I mean, just... to be fair, she's trying to take levels in whatever Cersei is. Yeah, I suppose that's true. <laughs> I mean, it's not a flashy superpower, but, like... <laughs> Devious super bitch? Is that the name of the class? <laughs> hey, hey, I feel like I'm bitch to it underscores the fact that they are both badass. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anybody in, if I see, oh, uh, yeah, you know what, Varys is, Var well, I don't know if I can, Varys could take that class. I'd let Varys take that class. Yeah, but he, he's too much to be, like, See, can we master. just, like, call them, like, I don't know, uh, socially coercive badass? I like that one. 
or like Socially it's gender neutral. Badass. It doesn't sound as good. But have right. you guys seen? Have you seen the meme where they turn the uh, the latest episode into a war gaming, and goes up with and House Targaryen is just like, oh, I only brought this five thousand point army, but let's play anyway. It'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty dope. Uh, uh, well, who, I was surprised by um, oh, thug dude, thug life guy. Uh, uh, he rolls around. He's not Bran. His name sounds like Bran. Uh, Brian. Bran. 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 Yeah, dude. Bran surprised me that was this episode, dude. I was. I thought for sure that he was just gonna be like, ah, oh, I'm out. Like this isn't gonna work out. Well, things though. Yeah, yeah no. Know. That, that's my problem with Game of Thrones. I can't keep anyone straight. Yeah, there are a lot. You know, it's of funny. Is it Bran? Is it Bran? Is it? Rickard? Is it Rickard? Is it, yeah. is it Rickard or Dickard? Because I love that line of, oh, what was your name, dude? Dickard. It was, it was, ah, okay. What did you say your name was? Dickard. Dickard. He had such a great right. opportunity to, like, correct him, though, because when that battle's going down, he could have been like, what's your name again? And when he saved him, he could have just been, my name is <laughs> Dickard, bitch. Because it would have just been like, you forgot me twice already, and now I just saved you. Okay, so one thing I was sitting there thinking, like, all right, Daenerys is riding this big freaking dragon thing with no armor. I mean, like, I I guarantee you can get some cool, like, draconic-looking armor or whatever. Like, they, they, the costume department has a lot of stuff, and she just is like, well, whatever, just let me get shot by arrows, the one thing that could kill a rider on this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I have been so far behind in Game of Thrones because I've been, you know, just so busy with school and work that I had to sit down and binge watch all of season six and, you know, the, the front part of season seven just to get ready. So I had to take a whole day out just to get caught up because I had no idea what was going on. And my friend was like, you fail at not knowing Game of Thrones. And she sat me down and we've been watching it since. But yay. <laughs> um, so it's uh, American Gods. I haven't oh, watched yeah, it. I've read the book God. though, so there hasn't been any new I ones. Just, I don't think. I've just started American Gods. I'm only on episode three, so I'm spoiled too much. I'm spoiled oh, too much. Right. So it's we, great. The only thing that I don't like about it was their casting of uh, Loki. I didn't like that. That was it. <laughs> Fair enough. I thought that was a shitty casting. Everything else has been totally spot on. I've been very pleased with American Gods. So yeah. what, what's, <laughs> what's the story behind Preacher, Mike? Oh, Preacher's uh, TV iteration is fucking excellent. Yeah, uh, it's got that guy from the the original Irish kid from the Misfits TV show. Okay, um, yeah. he is super charismatic and and it's easily oh, like he played um, the vampire. He played the, uh, what's his name? He had immortality, right? Yeah, and he, he's been in a couple spots here, or there yeah, in yeah, movies yeah. too since then. But uh, yeah, it's got him, and then I forget the name of the guy who plays Preacher, but he looks exactly like him, and I've seen him before. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really tight. The show's really good. I, I'm really really enjoying it every single week. Uh, the cliffhangers are pissed. Fuck you, Seth Rogen, for the cliffhanger. Like, okay, that I don't I don't like how how precipitously on the cliff every single episode ends. But um, it's really good. So, so be wary um, once you start watching it. You want to keep watching more. Rick and Morty finally launches new season. Pickle Rick oh, is freaking yeah. hilarious. I'm Pickle Rick. Pickle Rick. Pickle Rick. Um. <laughs> That, that was a good way to launch the series. Uh, Dan Hammond actually was on Game Grumps immediately after that. Because um, he's doing with uh, Danny and Aaron, he's doing a, a new show called... What is it? I don't remember what it's called, but it's uh, it's about them 
It's about a bunch of like a professional gaming team as a comedy series. It's on YouTube Red. I'm gonna, I'm gonna subscribe for that. I'm gonna check that out. Um, Voltron season three hit. I watched it. It was a half length season. It's only seven episodes. Yeah. And, and uh, the next one's coming out in October, so it's not too long of a wait. Um, but I really dug it. They actually upped their animation budget. You can definitely tell, and it's worth watching. They have a big, a bunch of big shakeups. Um, I'm halfway through the last episode of season three. It's yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some very different episodes in there too. Um, it reminds me a lot of the old show, like a lot of the old show. Let's see. Um, then there was uh, the Dark Tower movie. I haven't seen it. But I hear that they went off script, and I don't understand why they would. Like, I thought that was the whole point of the movie they're making for the fans, but I yeah. guess not. They here, apparently they just made a young adult novel movie, and yeah. the weird thing is, and I don't trust Stephen King anymore. I, I haven't trusted him for a long time, but he all, he's always like, "Guys, this is the adaptation I wanted to make. It's perfect. It's great. It's the one I always I refused other people bunches of times." And I'm like, "No, you didn't." This was I just said it before, and I will say it again. I think Stephen King is a fucking hack. I've always thought he's a hack. He's a very prolific hack that can write competently, but I don't like. I've never read or or experienced Stephen King's story and been like, "Oh my god!" So I like, uh, didn't have that. Rose Red is the only one that I I like actively enjoyed. So I yeah. haven't read a lot of Stephen King outside of the Dark Tower series, but I've literally read every Dark Tower book. I hate Stephen King, even even though I like those books. It's weird. Um, he occupies this bizarro space. Everyone assumes he's like that, that corporate show. Like, what was that scene in Family Guy where they're like, Stephen King, I didn't get a note for your new thing. He's like, uh, grabs a lamp. Lamp monster! One can be yeah, done. yeah, check. yeah. But the thing is, though, in a weird way, he's kind of this weird experimental writer, too. Because he does not like obeying the rules, and it really bites him in the ass more often than not. But he under, But he under, But he likes to try it. So, like, Dark Tower was his just kind of, like, he grabbed onto a bucking bronco and just kind of rep, wrote it. And afterwards, he's all bruised and beat up because he decided it was a good idea to, like, ride with his teeth or something. But, like, it's not a bad book series. It's very experimental, very out there. Stephen King is actually himself a character at one point. Um, but he's a drunk idiot asshole. So I can't really say he's kind of, like, he's not, he's not, it's not, like, self-insert. Because it is, but it's it makes sense, and it. The problem is they didn't embrace that. They were just like, knight with gunslinger knight runs around with magical power youth boy. <laughs> okay, great, cool. That's the end of it. We're gonna stop. We're gonna jump to the third book just because. You know, uh, uh, Soward says that Matthew McConaughey is a great creepy sorcerer. If you can divorce the source, but I, I don't, I don't know I if love I believe Matthew McConaughey. that. Have, so, uh, have any of you read Stephen King's Our Writing? What? Have any of you read Stephen King's autobiography on writing? No. No. I would recommend reading that. Alright. So, okay. um... So, one recommendation for Stephen King's <laughs> autobiography. Uh, it's not fiction, but it'll, 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 it'll give you... It might give you a different perspective on his novels and your perspective of him as... Your perspective... Of him as an individual. I just, uh, on the basis of of his stories, I am not induced. You don't have to, but it's still a great book to read. So, sure, um, sure, sure, sure. And so, he was a professional writer, and he made it like 
uh, very successfully. Like, I'm not saying he doesn't have value as a person or his career doesn't have value. I just, like, his content is never, never my, my cup. So, um, Kickstarters are next. I think the one we're all waiting yes. to talk about is uh, Lost Spears, uh, Seven, City of Seven Seraphs. Um, I know Savannah yes. and I are working on it. Jay, are you working on it too? I am a stretch goal. Okay. Um, we actually have, uh, we've talked about it quite a bit on here. Um, it is launched though, um, with a, what is it? Where are we at? Let's look. $6,722. With a 28,000 goal. Um, and yes. that is 111 cool. backers. Over 100 backers are. Yeah. My guess, is, I mean, if they're hitting that much in the first day, I'm, I'm putting my money down now saying that they're going to make it. Um, Chris, you should really not reveal all your stretch goals right yeah. now. Like it's a, that that is a enthusiastic mistake that I have made twice before, and it, it's really hard to resist. But like, uh, yeah, that, that's one thing I would definitely tell you. But take that, get those off there until they're they're within sight, and you can use them to generate excitement. Yep. Use the project to generate excitement now. Use the stretch goals to generate excitement later. And then if you need to change some of those to backer, like, yeah, it's a good idea not to put those up immediately. But yeah, I pledged. Uh, earlier today, and I'm, you guys all pledged, right? I have I'll be pledging when I get back to Wisconsin. I, I will be doing it in about uh, after the show, probably. I just haven't had the chance to. I've been kind of busy. I've been signing paperwork for a new job and everything. So, and this is basically that ten dollar tier with those five prints looks real nice. And and this is like a sigil for after you guys complete the campaign that you're in or whatever, and you're all 18th level and you need somewhere to go, right? That's the idea. Yeah, um, I like the fact that he's calling it out as a campaign capstone. It's kind of an interesting thing when you guys are. That is a very good idea, concept. Yeah, yeah, I like I like that. Like it's the joining between worlds. It's the hey, maybe your character's from another campaign can come say hi. I don't know. It's kind of like it feels like the lobby after, uh, after your uh, after you completed the big adventure. Like where do you go next? And I think that's kind of a cool way of putting it out. I think there's uh, there's some added benefit in it that it also could become a as a capstone campaign setting. It also gives GMs another option for TPKs. So if you yeah. you know you're running an AP and your entire party dies, you could wake up in this campaign setting and start from level one again, and 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 there you go and start exploring a whole new world. So it, it, it I think it serves more than just ending at level eighteen. I don't know, you Scott, you probably know more than I do though, since you're you know included in the project. My my knowledge is limited in my conversations with uh, Kristen. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, again, I don't want to compare it too much to Sigil because it's definitely its own thing, but that is the, mm -hmm. like, closest thing I can give it to you where, like, I'm going to go back to a really old book, um, was it Demigods and Deities from... Deities and Demigods. Yeah, um, where they actually talk about the, the layout of Olympus and stuff and, like, the old com competitions, like, so yeah, when Epic Level at, like, first or second, or, like, AD&D was, like, you had to go there and compete in giant tournaments to advance in level and stuff. It was kind of weird. Um, it, yeah, it was bizarro. Because I, I, when I wrote up uh, Legendary Levels, the, our uh, Pathfinder Epic Level stuff, you actually had to go compete there. You could do other things for it, too. But at least you had to pass challenges and trials and stuff. It was bizarre. I loved it. Apparently, the playtesting for this began at third level. Uh, but this is 300-plus pages in full color, right? This yeah. is, uh, the art's pretty dope. Oh, it is, dude. <laughs> the art is Vincente something, right? Vincente Caliento, or I'm probably yes, messing up. Yes, that sounds right. No, I think that sounds right. That's right. That's right. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, anyway, get back it, guys. It's out there. It's going to be, what is it, 30-day Kickstarter? Uh, I think uh, it's got 31, 31 days left. Oh, okay, left cool. Right so 32 days, I guess, or something. Anyway, um, 
And uh, he added a $100 pledge level that includes all 18 PDFs from Lost Spheres Publishing. Oh, wow. And those so, are beautiful and great PDFs. Kristen's actually going to be doing some stuff for us later this year as well. So, or actually for Nat20 Studios. So, uh, oh, Jay, uh, actually... Um, oh, and there's a new class here, the Nexus, a veil weaving class. Mm -hmm. So, Jay, uh, you've got uh, your, uh, your space here like to talk about whatever you want. So, uh, we got a few minutes. Let's kind of... We're, we're about well, we're I, I two minutes over time, but... Uh, I, I was, I'm excited about what Kristen's doing. We've had some great conversations about Seven Seraphs. I think one of the things that I was particularly... Um, touched <laughs> about was the irony it was there's a bit of a synchronicity because the background information for bloodlines and black magic there are seven archons that rule huh. the world in bloodlines and black magic and then when Kristen was pitching me uh seven seraphs and, he, and i'm like wait a minute you've got these seven entities and we've got these seven entities was this planned and he was like nope and it was just one of those like happy accidents that had that happened so i don't know if we're going to try to tie this content together but it certainly could be fun <laughs> um mm. just because of what he's doing you know what he's doing and I'm, once i get a better look at seven seraphs i'll be able to see if that that's going to be feasible but what we're doing right now story um you know all of you well except for you scott i mean mike has worked with us um savannah's worked first you guys kind of have you know some insights into what we're doing but um we're ramping up for some bigger productions. In fact, next year we're going to be announcing a new campaign setting. It will be both Pathfinder and 5e compatible. Um, it's a campaign setting called Alessia. We've got another campaign setting that's a work called Lane or the Bloodlands that will be on track for release in 2019. Um, and we're really, you know, we're really hustling. That's one of the reasons I'm behind in Game of Thrones and every other show <laughs> that you guys get to watch. But we've got we've got a lot of great things happening. We we recently just um, finished the manuscript for uh, the Celestial Host, which was our first project for uh, Design Camp. Uh, we had a great time with that. We originally wanted to run it for about five, uh, three to five months. It's actually ran about eight. Um, I, I've, I've gotten so much amazing feedback from the backers that participate or the campers that participated in it. Um, yeah, there's been some really great response to it. Yes, it's it's and people are excited. I've actually got people emailing me and asking me when are you doing the next one, and we're like we're we're actually going to be sitting down uh, on Friday at lunch with everyone that's coming out to Gen Con and saying, hey, come out, sit down, let's talk about it. We've got the next project outlined, and right now, once uh, Brian and Ben and I get to, to sit down and at Gen Con and actually have some relaxing kind of just conversational meeting time, that's not you know us working on any of the other current projects we're going. I'd like to see about maybe even possibly kickstarting it later on to add art because the manuscript is gorgeous. It's done. It brings deities and demigods to the Pathfinder role-playing game, mm -hmm. which hasn't been done before. And we uh, we did three pantheons. No, it has. I mean, it's not been done. Yeah. So we we actually released one of our first big products was we released uh, legendary levels, which is epic level for Pathfinder, and we did one of our source books. Was, we're not doing epic, but we're not doing epic. Hang on, hand. But one of the things we did was a deity book source book for that. Which is based oh, on well, I must have missed that. But yeah. we're doing, we spent about six months just doing academic level research mm -hmm. on it. So and you're talking the, about like a general DD book, not the DDs of Ranthi or whatever. Right, no, just, we're doing, yeah. we're, we're doing particular pantheons. Yeah. We're doing particular pantheons. So the first, you know, the first three sets of pantheons for uh, um, the Celestial Host is the Tuatha Dé Danann, the Norse, 
and the Arthurian legend. So they're, we, it's actually two pantheons of gods, and we wanted to take everything from deities and demigods from the old school, like first edition stuff, and give it a lot more treatment. Um, one of the models that I wanted to use was Paizo's um, Inner Sea Gods because there was so much amazing detail that they gave to people for Galorian. I'm like, why don't we do this for deities and demigods? And a lot of the classic legends and lores books and deities and demigods, they didn't, I don't feel like they gave the gods the full treatment. Maybe it was a space issue. Maybe it was research. They didn't have the time. I don't know. But as we have an increasing access to information, you know, we can make better products. And this book came out fantastic. So we've had great feedback on it. And uh, we might just kickstart it and open it up to a larger community. But so far, it's, it's been amazing. And we're just, we're busy. We've got a lot of things coming out soon. And of course, Mike's got Miss of Akuma, he's doing, which is doing well. It's actually been converted to uh, Shadow yeah, of the yeah. Demon Lord. I'm still amazed at how well that's going with Shadow of the Demon Lord. I knew they were going to like it. And the new character sheet looks dope, dude. I was like, thank what? you. That is awesome. Did you see yeah. the D and D ones with the uh, the watermarks? Yeah. Yes, yes, it looks really good. I was really excited about that. I was like, man, that's on point. I haven't talked to Rob about it, but I was still like, that looks good. And I think he gave yeah. it a thumbs up. And uh, I think and, he did. I think he gave yeah. it a like. I didn't check with him because uh, I think there's enough. Like, I had to add a bunch of stuff to it that's not in the regular core rules. Yeah, but it's still different enough that it's not quite the same, but it's recognizable. And the Tory Gate helps a lot too. Yes, okay. uh, it it looks really good. So I'm ha I'm very happy with where Mr. Kuma is going. Um, Alessia is going to be a big thing. Rune is currently being converted to fifth edition. It's already been fully the entire campaign guide for Rune's been converted to Savage Worlds. So as soon as I can get some time or another layout person to tackle it, that'll be coming out. I'm guessing early next year, if not late this year. So we're gonna we're gonna be expanding. I don't want to say super rapidly. I want to keep a steady pace of growth, but. The things coming out of Stormity Studios are going to be a, a higher level of quality. And here soon, I've been telling people we are redoing the Pathfinder version of Rune, and we're going to go ahead and we're doing the second pass edit, and we're going to make it available as a print-on-demand product. It's cool. been just too much demand for it not to do. So we're busy, man. I could talk for hours, but I also know we're running out of time. We, we yeah, are. We're keep... actually a little over time. So, um... so we're going to take a little break and then uh, be back from Munchausen. Hey, guys. That sounds good. Thank you, guys. Once again, uh, thanks for stopping by, guys.